Have you ever had a loved one leave the church and your relationship becomes awkward? This is so common and so sad. I got the chance to interview the Packard family who have been down this road. Cindy and Blair Packard are Orthodox believing parents and Josh, their son, and his wife have left the church. We came together to discuss their journey and it was amazing what they taught. They talked about the communications they regretted and how other siblings responded in positive and negative ways. They learned how to pick up the pieces again, express love, carry on, and build a beautiful relationship. This has become a favorite in the Questioning Saints virtual library. You can actually gain access to this interview at leadingsaints.org 14. This will give you 14 days to watch the Packards interview and many others related to helping individuals who begin to question their faith. Go to leadingsaints.org 14 and get access now. So my name is Kurt Frankum, and I am the founder and executive director of Leading Saints and obviously the host of the Leading Saints podcast. Now, I started Leading Saints back in 2010. It was just a hobby blog, and it grew from there. By the time uh, 2014 came around, we started the podcast, and that's really when it got some uh, traction and took off. Uh, 2016, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we've been growing ever since. And now I get the opportunity of interviewing and talking with remarkable people all over the world. Now, this is a segment we do on the Leading Saints podcast called How I Lead. And we reach out to everyday leaders. They're not experts, gurus, authors, PhDs. They're just everyday leaders who've been asked to serve in a specific leadership calling. And we simply ask them, how is it that you lead? And they go through some remarkable principles that should be in a book, that should be behind a PhD. They're usually that good. And uh, we just talk about uh, sharing what the other guy's doing. And I remember being a leader, just simply wanting to know, okay, I know what I'm trying to do, but what's the other guy doing? What's working for him? And so that's why every Wednesday or so, we publish these How I Lead segments to share. Kevin Asher, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, this is, uh, I'm glad, to, who was it that originally, uh, David Felshaw? We got to give yeah. him a, sh a shout out. Uh, Bishop Felshaw down in Shawnee Mission. Yeah, no, he's great. He's great. Nice. And he he reached out to me and uh, said that we should chat and record it and share it with the world. So here we are. So, there we are. Here we go. Here we are. So, and how do you know David? So David's a, a, a mission or a, a bishop down in Shawnee Mission, down in Kansas area. Um, and we're on a regional committee together. We are just kind of uh, neighboring stakes. So we, we do a lot of work together. We get together and do a lot of regional activities with the, with the YSA. So Nice. And you are a, it's a YSA bishop, right? I'm a bishop in the, in the young single adult ward here in the far west. Yeah. Nice. And how long has that been going on? I just actually hit my one-year birthday just the other day, which says the 14th, so June 12th was my one-year birthday as a bishop. Wow. 
Happy birthday, Bishop. <laughs> nice. Now, uh, this what makes you super unique for the Leading Saints podcast. I mean, we've had a lot of bishops on, but uh, we've never had a bishop who's also won a cookie baking, a national cooking baking contest. And that is you, right? That tells the story. I'm, I'm the baking bishop, I guess. Um, <laughs> I love it. By, by default. <laughs> You don't um, have candy in your office. You got cookies, right? Is uh, that cookies, pies, but any kind of pastry you could think of. Absolutely. <laughs> um, how did that come to be? Well, I'm I'm more of a savory chef than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've I've been around the kitchen for many years. Um, my my wife is a, is a big fan of Chip and Joanna Gaines down in Magnolia, and um, she saw something that they had advertised about a year and a half ago for a cookie competition. This is a two in the morning, you know, internet scrolling, uh, which I, I would get on her about, you need to be, you need to go to sleep. Um, but no, she found this and she signed me up. I woke up the next day and she says, by the way, you're going to be on this cooking competition, uh, a bakery style. And so it's, I said, sweetie, I, you know, I'm a, a savory chef, not a baker. And she says, well, it's time to sharpen those skills up because you're going. And so we signed up and I didn't think I was going to get on. Um, I'm just a stay-at-home dad out here in Missouri, uh-huh. uh, but it's a it's a pretty awesome process. It's like applying for college, questions <laughs> and pictures and recipes and more pictures and more videos. And lo and behold, I I the first round I went down as an alternate, but then I, I reapplied again for the holiday cookie episode, uh, and I got on. And um, wow. the rest is history. It was a blast, absolute blast. Right. So you're, but you're a trained culinary chef. Is that the, Self, the right term? Self-trained. Or? I'm not professionally trained. Um, oh, but okay. I come from, I come from a line of great chefs in the family. We have relatives that came over from Europe as private chefs and uh, we've had a restaurant, um, restaurant tours in the family. So it's just been something that I've always loved doing and being in the kitchen. And um, I worked in restaurants and cooked for a lot of people. So, yeah. That's awesome. And so what was the cookie that you made? It was the, called the Holiday Sandy, named after my mom. Um, uh, we can't use the term Sandy, S-A-N-D-I-E, because that's a Keebler term. But this is a uh-huh. Holiday Sandy named after my mom. It was a shortbread cookie with cranberry and orange um, in it. And then on top was a citrus uh, frosting with a little bit of a candied orange peel and cranberry crumbled on top, too. So it'll be back this coming Christmas as well. Ooh. Oh yes. Nice. It, Just so, a, is there a way? Is this episode or contest on YouTube, or how how can people see it? It'll be on Instagram. So we have um, my Instagram, which is Kevin M. Asher, um, or we have the AsherFamilyTable dot com that we'll be launching up fairly nice. soon as well. So nice. Well, that's a unique job for a bishop, right? It's, it's a blast. <laughs> I'll tell you what: we get more more people at our events than anything else, as long as there's cookies involved. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> Very cool. Um, anything else worth mentioning about that experience uh, before we move on? Or? Um, I'll just take out the the question of uh, that I get a lot from from people is how are Chip and Joanna Gaines? How was the experience being on the show? Some of the most well Christ centered rooted people I've ever met. They're they are who they say they are. They're just awesome, awesome people. And what an incredible experience it was. Very wholesome and just a dynamite atmosphere down at the silos. Absolutely love it down there. Nice. That's good to hear. And hopefully if people ever ask you, what, how, how was Kurt Frankum that you'll say something similar, but absolutely. That'll be on the next <laughs> as podcast. if I'm as famous as the gains, but you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, uh, well, very cool. So, is there a story, you know, being called as a YSA bishop, typically you don't see it coming. What was your experience like? Well, honestly, my experience was, um, it was, it was shocking because I'm new to the church. Um, I joined the, the, the church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, uh, it'll be eight years ago, uh, this year. Oh, wow. Um, and so having been called to that previously, I was a counselor, uh, in the bishopric of the YSA, um, and I, I just, I'm still learning the organization and leadership uh, levels of, uh, you know, what it takes to be a bishop or a counselor or uh, really in those aspects. But what it comes across is the same thing is you serve and you serve in whatever capacity you're called in. And when I got called as bishop, it was kind of a mind blowing. Okay. I, I guess if anyone knows I'm ready, the Lord knows I'm ready. Uh, so uh, my prayer life increased incredibly. Uh, to know how to best serve and how to how to how to be in this capacity for these young young single adults. Yeah, and then what do you remember a year ago walking into that? What uh, how, how what what did you feel prompted with as far as getting started and starting to to lead? You, you know, it was wild. I actually spoke to the previous bishop who uh, was called into the stake presidency, and I remember telling him specifically when I was a counselor on the stand, you learn to love these young people in a way that you you normally wouldn't as a regular member and in, in conventional ward, you're around families of all, you know, various ages. But when you're in a YSA, it's a very specific age group. And when that stand and that capacity as a counselor and you're serving, you learn to love them in a very special way. When you get called as Bishop, that love expands and you see now in each of these individuals, a potential that you couldn't see before. Yeah. Um, and that to me was the most, amazing, most precious thing that I felt. Um, I didn't have an agenda. I didn't have uh, an idea of what I was going to do. I just had this incredible um, feeling for each of these individuals of their potential and what they could become. And that's where I really kind of focused my energy on was meeting with them individually to see where they're at, um, kind of fix what needed to be fixed so they could really catapult through life. Yeah. No, that's awesome. That, and yeah, that shift I think happens for a lot of leaders that it's just, uh, and I don't know if it's the, the keys or the, you know, the, the chair or what, but yeah. uh, there is an expansion of love, especially when you have to you sit in an office with these people as they, they share, you know, their struggles. Yeah. Know? And that, that, that expanded love definitely helps. One of the things I, I shared with the, the young people was, um, was that chair and the, the uniqueness of the chair. And in my office, right behind me, I have a picture of the Savior. And I always point to him when I, when I sit down with these young people individually, and I say, the, the man behind me, the Savior, Jesus Christ, is the greatest physician who could heal anything. I'm merely one of his nurses. That's my role as your bishop, is to sit down with you, find out what's hurt, what's broken, what what's scratched, what's cut, what's bruised, and and triage it. How can we fix this wound, spiritual wound, together so we can get you up and running full speed again? So I, I allow them to mm -hmm. see me as a nurse that wants to help the, the process of healing through the powers of, of the Savior, um, but it's no more going to the principal's office mindset or it's no more going to the disciplinarian. It's going to the nurse's station to get to get triage, to get help, to get fixed. 
Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned you've uh, only been a member of the church about eight years now. It was there. Uh, I mean, a lot of us have the benefit of growing up with these roles and, mm-hmm. and traditions and whatnot. Was there anything that was harder you felt to understand or were you asking more questions in certain parts or? No. Uh, so prior to um, joining the church, I was actually uh, practicing Catholic. Uh, I was studying to be a Catholic friar, a, a priest. Um, I was discerning, oh, wow. discerning the priesthood. So if anyone's ever watched uh, Robin Hood, it's I was Friar Tuck at his yeah. best in the brown robe. But um, I was really discerning. <laughs> Much to, less drunk, I hope. But. Uh, no, not as not as bad. Not as bad. <laughs> um, and I, I'm not I'm not fond of bees like, like Friar Tuck is. But um, <laughs> we focused primarily on service, on serving people and seeing the Savior through each person. Um, and so that kind of gave me uh, a foundation to work off of. Um, the, the one thing I had to learn the most when I joined the church and in this calling was the vernacular of, of terms. And um, it's, it's kind of a, a running joke, I think, with a lot of people that I've served with and leaders that I've, I've served with is, you know, this guy here, Asher, he just he constantly asks why we do things the way we do it. And he, he does things a little differently, but it's kind of a breath of fresh air for some, I think. Um, I don't go the yeah. norm. I don't go the way people that may have grown up in the church always do it. I, I do things the way I feel the Lord is asking me to do them. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's a great trait uh, that we all should aim for as leaders is just questioning a lot of things, you know, as far as why do we, why do we do it this way? Yeah. Why do we call it that? You know, is there, is there maybe a broader picture to see here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and that sort of transitions to some of the principles you sent me as far as, uh, you know, one of the leadership principles you have is that, uh, using the, the savior as the, the perfect example mm-hmm. of leadership mm-hmm. uh, and being a servant leader. So uh, any stories or uh, come to mind or how, how does that look like in practice? So to serve the idea that I have, and it's something I have on my desk is to be a good leader is to be even a better servant. And it could be a slippery slope because how many times have we gotten into, into positions, and I, you know, myself as an example, that we serve with a specific intention. We serve with expectations. We serve with, um, with reservations. Um, I'm going to go into this particular soup kitchen um, because I want to feel the spirit or I'm going to serve in this capacity because I want to get this done for this person. Well, that's going in with a selfish, selfish motive. Um, and what's important is, and one of the things that my wife and I, our motto is Matthew 25, is to go in and to, you know, when I was hungered and he gave me meat, thirsty gave me drink. Do we find the Savior in those whom we serve? Do we go without expectations? Do we go without reservations? Do we go without personal desires just to go and connect? Because the one thing the Savior did better than anybody else and is the perfect example of besides love is he spent time with people. That's what he did. He spent time. He sat down with people. He he was with people at, at their moment, at their time, at their level. That's where he was. So to be a better servant, um, again, is to, to serve not only, you know, with God, but for God, through God, uh, at each and every moment that we can. 
I've always said that that true ministry or service is very uncomfortable. It's unpredictable and it's untimely. You know, it's it's never a situation where you're up and you're ready to rock and roll. You're never at the door, you know, when the call comes and and ready to rock and roll. So it's 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 untimely. And this then what is needed? The service that that is needed is very unpredictable. You don't know from day to day how the Lord's going to use you and in what capacity. And oftentimes it's not comfortable. It's it's an it's an atmosphere that's not normal for you. It's an atmosphere that uh, maybe um, may maybe feel you feel very vulnerable. But that's real ministry because you have nothing to lean on other than the Savior in those in those moments, and to serve as He did. So I always say, real ministry and real service often is untimely. It's uncomfortable. It's unpredictable. Um, hmm. But that's why it's so important to always be attuned to the spirit for those opportunities and to serve in a way where you look at the individual as Christ would see them. You know, like I said, without reservation or without um, expectation of what to get. Um, I know it sounds silly to to say, gosh, I don't want to ever go and serve someone and 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 say, I want them to be in a better place or I want I want this for them. I mean, it's it's coming from a good place. It's Mm -hmm. coming from me, not from the Savior. I've got to be attuned to the spirit to know how to best serve that person, because what may be the best for that person or that environment may not be what's coming to my mind right away. It may not be my plan. It's never my plan. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And where, where my mind goes, where, you know, on paper, I think every leader is like, yeah, that's the leader I'm trying to be, or that's the leader I want to be. Um, I, I think the difficulty comes when the, these roles can be so administrative, right? And and and, and this a mode of administration forces some type of a vision or an expectation, right? And so you may have a vision for the ward or people, and so it's hard to walk into these scenarios and set that aside and just be present with them because it's like, ah, well... You know, we do really, I mean, it's great that you're having a, or it's, it's too bad that you're having a hard time or you're struggling with this or that, but we do really want you in the temple, you know, mm-hmm. so that what do we got to do to get you in a temple recommend, right? And so, and again, like you said, these are the best intentions. And of course, there's nothing wrong with right. that, that desire for somebody. Um, and so is there any, like anything else you could, any, anything else come to mind is just as far as how you do that, like, how do you get in that cadence? in order to offer that type of servant leadership? It's all, it's all the initial, you know, questioning, you know, I'm, I'm working with someone right now who, um, it, it is a temple, uh, desire, uh, from my heart for them to get back into the temple, but it's not my vehicle. It's their path. It's their vehicle that they need to drive. So it's questioning, you know, and I'm, I'm, how would I put it? Um, I'm pretty directly compassionate, I guess, or compassionately direct. Is if like, Kurt, you came in and, you know, I wanted you to get back into that temple. My question to you would be, do you want to go into the temple? Are you ready to get back into the Mm -hmm. temple? And I would want to know why, you know, why are you ready or why are you not ready? And how can we work together on this journey? Because it's not about me. It's about you. And that's how I approach each of the individuals. It's pretty direct. I don't, I don't like to, to hop around and sugarcoat anything. I like to go straight for it. And, uh, but with love. And with with grace on that, and and just again talk to them, have that dialogue, 
with these individuals. And it reminds me of a story. Yeah. Um, this is going on years ago when I was doing some chaplaincy work at a juvenile detention center in California. Um, and I'll leave names out of it. I'll, I'll give you a, uh, a made up name. We'll say his name was Mauricio, um, 14 year old uh, in the juvenile detention system. And I was asked to go and, and meet with this, this young man. He wanted to talk to someone about God. I said, okay. So I went in there and there was no words exchange probably for the first three or four visits. Um, I would go in there and, and ask questions and I would get nothing back. And so finally I said to the guard, I said, do you, does he still want someone or is it just, he wants a warm body in the room with him just so he's not alone. So the, he wanted still to have visits. So I would keep visiting him. Um, we'd, I'd always pray with him, and eventually there's starting some, some dialogue, some exchange was going back and forth. And almost every time, uh, I would visit him, he would be drawing something. He would always have some sort of a sketch pad and he would be drawing something. Well, it was about 10 months of visiting with, with Mauricio. Um, and just a dynamite young man, got to know him really well. Uh, really stellar kid, had a real rough upbringing, uh, gang influence in the family. Um, it was just a hard life for this young man. And just before he was, he was released and able to go out, um, he shared with me a picture that he had been drawing over the last couple uh, of months and he showed it to me. It was a picture of himself. It was a full body image of himself and it had his gang colors. It had, you know, the, the markings on his body, his scars and tattoos and stuff at 14. But on the torso, it was, it was hollowed out. And on the inside of his torso, he drew a picture of the savior. And in this picture of the savior had the savior shackled at his wrists, um, locked to his waist, had shackles around his ankles, and he had his gang bandana wrapped around his mouth. And I thought that was a pretty wild picture and it had locks and, and stuff on it. Hmm. And then he pulled out another picture and it was the same picture, but of this one, it had the picture of the savior who was free and had all the chains and the bandana and the locks were on the ground. And it had a, a, a silhouette of an individual in the foreground um, with a set of keys. And I said, what is, what, what's going on here, bub? And he says, you know, you, you taught me about who Jesus Christ was by never even mentioning him. You know, you, you prayed with me, but you, you asked how I was doing. You told me how much I was worth it. You kept telling me these things and I never bought into it until I realized what was happening inside of me. He says, you don't realize, um, but you were the set of keys that unlocked all these things inside of me. Cause on those locks are written hope, love, forgiveness, kindness. And they were binding the savior up because they weren't unlocked. They weren't shown to him. But as time spent with him over and over and over every week and meeting with him, I became the, the, the vessel. I became the, the keys that unlocked the kindness. I showed him compassion and kindness and love and forgiveness and mercy, which unlocked those things within him. And he says, I now know who Jesus Christ is because of the example. And I was merely a vessel for this experience. But what was, hmm. a, 
the most learning opportunity in that was, you know, it even goes back to, uh, you could even quote Francis of Assisi, St. Francis of Assisi, to preach the gospel always, but if necessary, use words. It's through our examples at first where people really attach to um, and really cling to. And that, that story is what really kind of stuck to me over these years and how to serve is to what key can I be for this individual right now? What, what's binding them up? What's, what's constricting them? And how can I be a key that unlock that, that lock for them so they could be, feel the savior more. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah, Cause there's that temptation as a leader that we just sort of want to talk at people and say, well, you know, here's, here's the five reasons why life isn't going well and how, how that can change, you know? Well, we go in as the fixer. We go in as the fixer and we're, we're, that's not our job. Yeah. That's not our job. Yeah. So true. And I love this question. I mean, or this, this approach of asking, cause I think, you know, with these, with these doctrines and especially, you know, as a church leader, you know, you generally have a very orthodox background, right? Yeah. And so to you, the temple, church attendance, scriptures, they seem so obvious of why they would be so helpful to somebody. And so we almost too quickly embrace that or project that onto other people. We're just simply asking the question of like, you know, why do you, why do you even want to come to church or why do you show up on Sundays yeah. or you know, how, how uh, why do you even want a relationship with Jesus mm -hmm. Christ or these things? And it, and to a lot of us, it sounds like it's, those are silly questions because to us, it's so obvious. But if you can help, if you present that question to people and hear what they, they say after it or how they respond, it can be so informing as far as where they're at in on their spiritual journey. And then you have something to work with or uh, an approach to, to talk about rather than just making the assumption that, of course, they want all these things, yeah. right? It's time for the young single adults to, you know, it's what we're do, focusing on actually right now uh, this year is is developing your own testimony. We're, we're breaking away from mom and dad, from, you know, siblings, from bishops, mm. um, church leaders. It's now time to develop your own testimony. And where do you stand is the question that we've kind of post, posed this year is where do you stand? What are your foundational principles that you stand on? Yeah. And, and what a great exercise to just have people sit with that mm -hmm. and consider. Is there any, anything else as far as what that, what that's like or how you help people process that? I, I, I make sure they know there are, there are no boundaries for questions. Ask questions. Because the first question I ask them is, do you have a testimony of God and of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in them? And most 99.9% .9 of the time I get, yeah. I said, great. How have you been converted upon that? Mm -hmm. Because there's a difference. I know there's a lot of, I know a lot of things to be true, but have I been converted upon it? How do I know? How do I feel that? How do I know that um, without having been told that? Without seeing, you know, Christus's or, you know, just, how many weeks of my life thus far, every Sunday, someone testifying of the Savior? How do I stand alone in this and say, yeah, not only do I know it, but I've been converted upon the fact that I know I have a Father in heaven. I know Jesus Christ personally. You know, that's that's yeah. where I go is, you know, it's I always invite on testimonies 
Fast Testimony Sundays is don't just bear your testimony. I want to know why. Where my mind goes, I love that as far as like leading them down this path of articulating their beliefs and their testimony and to set this premise and this cultural norm that there's nothing wrong with questions. And I think we say that, but it, sometimes that's harder to establish in a culture, we might think. And my mind goes to that. I think it's a Benjamin Franklin quote, and I'm gonna, it's not verbatim, but you know, we should question even the very existence of God, because if there is a God, that's a question that he would want us to ask because it leads us mm-hmm. to discover mm-hmm. him, right? And so, and that is almost at the root of all questions. And we sometimes think, well, I can't question if there is a God because he won't like yeah. that. <laughs> when in reality, he loves that question that leads us to right. him, right? But I always, I always yeah. again, throw that little caveat is make sure you ask that why question with a desire in your heart. Because oftentimes why questions yeah. invite the adversary in. Why is this happening to me? Mm. Why do I have to go through this? Well, the first thing that comes into mind are more negative thoughts. It's more of the, again, the adversary comes Mm. in rather than in those opportunities. What, instead of why is this happening to me or why am I in this situation is what's the opportunity at hand or what does God want me to learn from this? So I, I, I always say ask questions, but with this, with a sincere heart. And it can go both ways. If you're struggling with the belief in the Savior is, you know, why do I believe or why don't I believe? You know, why why am I having this struggle? A, a sincere heart is is key in those questions. Hmm. Yeah, and that sincere heart usually means uh, action is expected to yeah. follow, right? Mm-hmm. I think Elder Bednar talks a yeah, lot about that's that, right? right? That, yeah, that's, that's the journey of faith. Right. So I'm looking at the principles here. Any others, uh, you've touched on compassion mm-hmm. and holding tight to your integrity and whatnot. Anything else in that realm we haven't touched on that you want to make sure we impact? Um, the compassion is a huge one for me. Um, most of us are going to come across and meet people that don't have the same beliefs in us. And, and we mm-hmm. have to be careful as a church to not um, belittle other religions or other faiths. Um, uh, I think it's very important to be able to speak to all people, um, and to, um, spend time with people and not to have to judge whether or not they're in the church or not in the church. Um, I always say, even when I was a Catholic and I was just gung ho and strong convictions. And even in this church, I don't want to ever feel like I'm better than anyone else because I have the fullness of the gospel with me now. Um, I know what's true mm-hmm. and you don't. So I don't ever want to feel like I'm in a, in a situation where I'm better than anybody else. I don't want to allow that sentiment. So compassion for me is eating with, with and sitting down with any, any person from any background and just seeing them as the Savior would see them, as, as beloved children of heavenly parents, regardless of their, of their convictions, regardless of their um, of anything but each person as a child of God. And so that, that takes compassion. And I think it's so important and, and, and to tie into the integrity piece is I want my congregation to see that in me. I want them to see me out and about, um, not only hanging out with like-minded people to boost me or to edify what I'm doing, but to see me with people of all backgrounds and embracing every, every person. Um, cause that's so important. That is such a, in my opinion, one of the best qualities of the savior is he sat 
with anybody. Now, granted, at his time, there were no Christians, right? Um, there were many people congregating around the same areas, well, in their own areas, but of different beliefs. But that's really, truly the miracle of that is still happening today. We're constantly walking around people with different beliefs and different backgrounds. And if we could just spend time with them and just be with them and 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 treat them um, as the Savior is asking us to treat people, then that would that would make a huge difference, in my opinion. And I imagine that comes into handy as a YSA bishop, is you have even Latter Day Saints in your own in your own ward who have just different beliefs or a different perspective or approach to the gospel that maybe you don't have entirely or you agree with or whatnot. So you have to approach that with a lot of compassion, right? Yeah. I tell them there's three things. There's religion, there's faith, and there's spirituality. Religion's religion. It's what we've kind of created and what we've organized. But then there's faith, and that's a very unique gift from God. And unique means even though we both may call ourselves Latter-day Saints, we have a different um, approach, a different interpretation of what we believe and how to live it out. And living that out is spirituality, is the expression of what mm-hmm. we believe. So every person that walks in those doors into the chapel on Sundays, we may all be Latter-day Saints, but our faith is very unique to us. And uh, based on our own personal experiences and interpretations and how we express that is different. Uh, so we have to be compassionate towards others and how they how they are and where they're at. Yeah. I'm just thinking, you know, as we talk about compassion, I'm sort of jumping around in your story. Maybe this is a question I should have asked earlier, but do you, do you find your journey interesting that you were sort of... Uh... I mean, I think all of us feel like we were prepared for these leadership roles in some way, but even with your Catholic background, like you were, you were drawn to religious matters and God and articulating mm-hmm. these things. Is that, is that a fair way to frame that? Yeah. I've always had a desire to learn more about the Savior um, and what was his, his intent? You know, what did he want? Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as a Franciscan, so um, as I was dis- discerning to join the, the Franciscan friars, the Capuchin friars, the reason why I chose them was, A, well, that's where I was serving out of. But most importantly, it was in the early 1200s, on 1204, when, when Francis himself was struggling with his own personal life, uh, uh, being a man of incredible wealth, being in a family of incredible wealth. Um, he struggled and he basically gave up all his riches and he went down um, going towards the valley of Umbria and the, the cross, the San Damiano cross and the Portiancola, he received revelation from God saying, my church is in ruins, restore it. And I loved that because I felt the church was in ruins. And I feel that may have been the first attempt or one of the, the attempts of restoring Christ's church. And so I've always had a desire to know what was Christ's ministry? What did he want his church to be? And so um, having that desire to really kind of cling to that in terms of my own life and how I live my life um, has been something that's been a core to me for a long, long time, long, long time. And I think it just, you know, it just kind of resonates in how I serve and, and whether it was as a Catholic, but now as a bishop, you know, Let's go back to the basics of the Savior. And what did he do? He spent time with people. He met them where they were yeah. at and he loved them. And that's more than just being a bishop. That's just living your life in a lifestyle. And yeah, some I think some people could look at your life and say, oh, you know, he's 
only been a member for a short time. Is he, is he ready for this type of an experience? When in reality, this, this spiritual journey has been uh, part of your life, your whole life, it sounds like. Yeah. I had a, someone actually asked me that. Two people asked me that. Are you ready for this? I said, well, do you believe callings are, are of God? And they said, well, of course. I said, then you need to ask him if I'm ready. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the conversation yeah, ended. Awesome. Because I, <laughs> I, I asked myself that, am I ready for this? Is this, are you, I asked my state president, I said, are you sure? Is there another Kevin Asher out there somewhere? Cause I, you know, I've only been here for a short <laughs> while. Right. And that's his response to me was you need to ask God because he's calling you to this. And I thought, okay, you know, you call the, you call him and it'll, it'll all work out. Yeah. And when you converted to the church, was it a, was it a tough sell, especially coming from, I mean, you were already well-versed in the gospel and the Bible, I imagine. I mean, was that yeah. a tough, tough conversion? It was not a tough sell because I had questions. I had questions that no one could ever answer. Mm -hmm. And so I, how I describe it is uh, I've had a very strong, a fortress of belief around my heart of the savior um, and, a, and a, such a great relationship with him. I had questions that could not be answered and I could share one of those questions with you right now. And it was, um, yeah. why just, why John the Baptist was chosen to baptize the savior. It just never made mm -hmm. sense to me as to why he was allowed to. And the answers I got were because he's cousins. And I thought that was a, a horrible answer. Um, <laughs> uh, I got, well, because he was a prophet and I said, there were others, but why him? And it, it never made sense as to why him and plus he had been born of Elizabeth, who was so old. It just nothing. There's a lot of things that were just kind of the red flags for me. And I never got answers. And then I learned through meeting with missionaries um, in 2014, it was because of the authority. Well, that kind of opened up a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And um, I then at that time, because I had read the Book of Mormon a couple times before, but with an, with an ill heart, with, uh, with the desire to kind of falsify it and to find um, uh, errors, right? But this time I read it with an intent to read it for what it was, and then at the end to pray about its fullness and its truthfulness. And when I went in with that intent, with that sort of spirit, that brick fortress that I already had of the savior of belief, that testimony and the realness that I experienced, the Book of Mormon became the mortar between those bricks. It just solidified it even more for me. Um, hmm. And, and for me, it's just a, it was a great, beautiful process of my journey. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm glad it, it led you here. And now, uh, yeah. you know, you're not a friar, but you're a bishop. So, uh, yep. a baking bishop. <laughs> so it worked out. Yeah. 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 I, I do need to ask you one last question. Those watching the video, there's an elephant in the room here because you have a big, beautiful Brigham Young beard. Uh, yes. And as a bishop that culturally there's been some, uh, you know, misconceptions about, you know, bishops and beards and whatnot. And so, yeah. uh, your stake presence good with it. You're just, uh, you've always had a beard or I mean, what's the story with the beard? I've had a beard. Oh my goodness. I, I hate shaving. I hate shaving. <laughs> and I've had a beard now, this beard I've had, well, my wife has actually never seen me without a beard. And so when I told oh, my wow. stake president, when, when he, when he called and I said, um, 
I'm just going to, I know there, I know it's out there, president. I know it hasn't been said, but I'm just going to throw it out there, the beard. And before you say anything, I am far uglier without it than with it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you allow me to keep this on for the sake of, of not scaring people away. And he laughed and he says, <laughs> you look great with a beard. You can keep it. So nice. Well, I'm encouraged by that. I think it's a. Yeah. I don't want to do to the world of, of them seeing me without this. It's, it's a scary thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you, you're I'm glad you're sporting it and it looks great. And uh, I think more bishops should have beards in my opinion, but <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so very cool. Kevin, as you reflect on your time as a bishop, just a one year and really just this lifetime of leadership being drawn mm-hmm. to the ministry in one form or, the, or another, um, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? You know, uh, it has allowed me to to really reflect on on humility more than anything else. Uh, as a leader, I've I've learned to be vulnerable um, in my approach with these young people, and through that vulnerability, I've leaned more on the Savior on how to not only cling to Him but how to follow Him as the perfect example. And when I follow him, I learned how to follow those whom I'm serving. These young single adults are, are some of the best in the world. I mean, it's they're We look at young single adults as, you know, sometimes one toe in the water of youth and one toe in the water of adulthood. And they kind of go back and forth. But I, I will stand before you as a witness to these young single adults that they are some of the most powerful, influential uh, people I've met. And they're dynamite um they they serve with all their might might and strength um they're just fantastic and for me that is what i follow i follow the savior and i see the i see the savior in each of these young people and that concludes this how i lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this, this experience. And this is how we, how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's, that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. Maybe send this in individual an email, letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them. And... Uh, See if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org slash contact, and there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. Remember, go to leadingsaints.org slash 14 to hear the Packard family's experience of when loved ones leave the church. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership 
from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.